This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass podcast. This for UFC Rally. Blades versus Junior Dos Santos. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, and this past weekend, I parlayed Mar- Macy Barber. Cody. Oh. I may have, I may have a gambling problem. Um, glad that I got that last, or that probably the worst bet of the year out of the way to uh, to get things started. Well, to start in 2020, the year, yeah, to start the year, uh, to just a, make it a quick recap. Our dog of the week, Brian Kelleher, he came through. Our too good to be true pricing of the week, Yusef. Home was pretty easy money, especially by decision. That was pretty good. And then what you do have here is a dual apple pie shitter situation. My apple pie shitter was Hack Paras. I put him as. He would be my log of the week. Like, how's this guy going to lose? And, of course, he gets bombed out. The Macy Barber one, yeah. I mean, 10 to 1 favorite. Some spots goes off to, like, 8.5 to 1. Uh, the knee injury aside, it just wasn't a great performance. And then stealing the mic at the end was pretty oh. much sewer in your own career. So it is what it is. But we need to move on and uh, get going. Oh, yeah. We will move on right now. Uh, anyway, last week we had uh, DK Draw, as, as is tradition. And the winner of that was M.T. Arthur, 1983. Congratulations, you're the one winner of 20DK dollars that should be in your account right now. This week, what you got to do, uh, actually, before we say that, uh, there was a guy named Michael Heelan, longtime fan of the show. He's going to his first UFC card this weekend. So he's like, do you have any advice what you would do? And Any you know, pieces of words of wisdom. And I didn't really have anything on the spot, but I was like, you know what? The fans of the show probably have been to events before. They have like some little... Greasy tricks and greasy tricks, maybe some greasy for, theories, things okay. that they like to do when they go to events. So, what you got to do, give the episode a like, leave your DK handle, and tell anybody who's never been to a UFC event before, like you know, a tip or a trick or like what you do to uh, make your enjoyment of the event that much better. If you're sneaking into the event, you're trying to sneak something into the event, you're not physically sneaking. If you're trying to sneak something in, they don't got metal detectors. You crotch it. Because it's like, listen, buddy, you want to grab my dick? Then if, <laughs> maybe there's something. Maybe there's not. We're both getting in trouble if that's the case. So uh, they generally balk. And they're like, okay, buddy, that's all you. Go through. We're taking that from a Canadian perspective. It's just metal it doesn't work. I okay? don't know. I don't mind. know about the security at, uh, you know, the PNC Arena in Raleigh, North Carolina. It could be a lot more... You know, a lot more serious down there than it is up here. Well, but yeah, you I, can you can you can definitely get. The one in thing there. is, all of the guns have gone over to Virginia, so it's like at least you're not outnumbered massively in the arms department. If you want to win, 
a hundred DK dollars. A hundred. That's basically like what Lockport uh, Gambino Ford has, has pulled in over the course of <laughs> the, last the last year in, in $20 per. Good for what Lockport. you got to do is wherever you get your podcast, subscribe, rate, review, leave your DK handle and say something you like about the show. Be like, I like the hat that Cody wears every single week with the, the flat brim. Listen, the main thing is, is you, you give a five-star review and you leave your DK handle. The rest doesn't really matter. It's a $100 DraftKings hundred bucks. So, I mean, yeah, if you sign up every week for this $20, which is great times, you could potentially get yourself nifty ahead we and, are uh, and put some serious money into your account to start off. Not messing around with that one. No. That's definitely, definitely get in on that one. 100 bucks. Can help you out a long way if you, like, say, like, rostered Macy Barber in all of your lineups, something like that. Anyway, let's get into the action for this week. Curtis Blades taking on Junior Dos Santos. Curtis Blades, 9,000 on DraftKings, minus 240 favorite. Junior Dos Santos, 7,200 and plus 200 uh, underdog. Kind of a wrestler versus grappler type of situation. Wrestler versus striker. Wrestler versus striker uh, situation. Curtis Blades, if he's taking on anybody not named Frankie Murder, my boy, um, he's Undefeated. he's looked apart. He's looked great. <laughs> he's, like he's, he's just twelve and Francis and gone. He that's can't take record. that power, but really nobody can, right? So uh, you can't hate on the guy too much for that. Junior DeSanto's obviously been around forever. Anybody with strong grappling over the course of history has always tried to take him down. You know, guys like Cain Velasquez at the peak of Cain Velasquez's career have been successful in doing that. But Dos Santos is an old war horse, and he's been around forever. Probably has the boxing advantage here, speed advantage. Maybe he uses strikes to the body like he did against uh, Ben Rothwell way back yeah, when. But Blades, I think, is a lot better athlete than, say, like a Ben Rothwell. So, I mean, it's going to be pretty obvious early on. If Blades is able to get the takedowns early in this fight, um, I think he is just going to pile on, and JDS has taken a lot of damage over his career, but it's hard to get JDS down. I think he is live at plus 200. I'm interested to hear your take on this fight, though. Yeah, so it'll definitely come down to pricing in the end, and you know, you and I talk about it all the time. These aren't middling heavyweights, but they're heavyweights in general. Whenever you've got one heavyweight as a minus 240 favorite, you got to think, okay, well, how is he going to potentially lose this fight? Yeah, both of the fights are against Francis Ngannou, but he got clipped both times. The one time his eye physically swells shut. It wasn't like he got KO'd. The second time was like 45 second kind of a flash knockdown. But yeah, could Junior DeSantos, a notorious heavyweight with good punching power and the superior boxing skill set, clip Curtis Blades? Yeah, absolutely. But I got to go back down to just the, the style clash. And the style clash is we have an elite level wrestler. He's got good cardio, pushes the pace for a big man. It's being billed as elite wrestler, elite boxer. But Junior DeSantis, in my opinion, is not an elite boxer. He's a good boxer. He throws hands. Those talks of him fighting Vladimir Klitschko back in the day, like, do you honestly know how that would have gone down? He, he's not at that level. Now, you tape study any of the fights on him, right? It's like the tale of two G- JDSs. If he's moving forward, he's effective. Mm-hmm. He's not moving forward. He's fucking useless. And, and it's literally the case of all these fights. Now, when you say people know the way to beat this guy is to take him down because Kane did it. Kane's very, very few and far between. Like, nobody can do that. Of course. But who are the other guys that have attempted to, right? When he fought Stipe, Stipe actually never tried to take him down. But Rothwell is not a wrestler. He's got no, he really has no athleticism. He can't shoot a real takedown, yeah. not in the open field. Overeem's not a wrestler. Blagoy Ivanov, he's got a Sambo background, shot no takedowns, and was very lethargic. Tai Tui Vasa can't wrestle. Derek Lewis can't wrestle. Francis Ngannou just knocks him out quick. Couldn't wrestle regardless. So it's like, well, geez, when was the last time somebody had a wrestling a heavy while. game plan on him? This is incredible to see, but the second Cain Velasquez fight, Cain took him down 11 times. 
on 33 takedown attempts. That's absurd. As a heavyweight. That's the craziest stat I've ever seen in my life. The main thing there. Yeah, the main thing there is it's not like he tried to take him down 33 individual times. He chain wrestled his ass. And very few guys can do that, especially keep it up for five. But Mm -hmm. Blades can. Blades is a very good wrestler. He does not mind. Every time he loses to Francis Ngannou, he comes back as a much better fighter. The first time he loses, he comes back, he goes on a four-fight winning streak. Now he meets Francis Ngannou the second time. Everybody, okay? The only person in their right mind here is Paul Shaughnessy. Curtis Blades goes off as a minus 240 favorite over Francis Ngannou in the rematch. And you're, you're that was just a bad number, though. Yes, it was a bad number because it was recent bias, right? You've got Francis Ngannou who's not Who looks looking like good. he was broken. At yeah, the time. no, no, he's just a different guy. And we got Curtis Blades who's, whoa, his rise to the top can't be stopped. You look at bad performances like Daniel Malonchuk fight, but he always comes back from those fights even better, even better, even better. So now he loses. In his next two fights, he takes on Justin Willis, he takes on Shamil Abdurakimov. He's not interested in striking Those are middling heavyweights. But he's not interested in striking anymore. He realizes, you know what? I'm a big heavyweight. I'm fighting a big heavyweight. Big Titty Willis has only got a puncher's chance against me. And against Shamil, Shamil's got a great Sambo background. He's actually decently hard enough to take down himself. But it's like, no problem. He just sticks on these guys and breaks them down and tires them out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. JDS is at ATT. He's got the best training partners in the world. He's going to have a great game plan. He could most definitely touch up Curtis Blades, hurt him at some point. But I love the idea that Blades... I I, I believe JDS has the boxing advantage. He's got the power advantage. But I give the speed advantage to Blades still. I think he's a faster athlete. I think he's got better gas tank. Training at Elevation... with elevation fight team in Colorado, like he, he he's 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 almost made to go. Hopefully, go to these hard. Whenever he finishes these three round fights, right? I mean, he finishes Abdurakimov, but the first round they're booing. Like the fans are booing. They don't understand. He's just setting this up and tiring this guy out. Mounts mm-hmm. him at the end of the first round, thrashes him. Second round, it's like this is a broken man in front of him now, right? The fight with Willis, it's like he just took him down, rinse and repeat whenever he felt like it. If he fights with that kind of smart game plan, doesn't just stand in front of JDS, doesn't move back and let JDS come towards him, like. I, I see the key. However, as much as I got blades, I see that being a, a favorable stylistic clash for him. Geez, I can't get over the fact that I don't like 240. Minus 200 on Junior DeSantos. Like, oh, you know what? You know, former champion. He's got some back class here, but I, I, I'm a blades guy. I like Curtis Blades. Yeah. Only guy in the top 15 under 30 years old, Curtis Blades. Yeah. Um, the one thing with JDS, when's the last time he's like really one hitter quittered somebody, right? Like, that seems to be how how do you beat Blades? You have yeah. Francis Ngannou's power, and you just absolutely wreck him. Otherwise, like if he is able to employ his game plan and get you down to the ground, tire you out. JDS obviously historically has very very good cardio for a heavyweight, but J- JDS but yeah, the path is there. But yeah, again, minus two forty yeah. with any sort of heavyweights, there's just so much more variance in these fights that it's tough to jump on board unless you are very very confident. Well, you've always got the puncher's chance with any weight class. It's just, you know, it's redefined at heavyweight because maybe it's just that half shot that needs. They both got knocked out by Francis on a half shot. Yeah. And now another guy has the power of Francis, so maybe that's off the table a bit. But just to wrap it up quickly, JDS's wins, Derek Lewis did not take a single step forward. Tai Tui also easily won the first round, moving forward. Mm-hmm. In the second round, it's Tai. <laughs> like, it, the shoe he's got to him, he starts to get tired. And Both he gets guys hit, get tired. He got hit by a five-piece, clean. All five punches land. The fifth one, he's got his, he's turned, and that one's the one that drops him. So mm-hmm. when you hear one hitter quitter, you might see, oh, shit, he knocked the, his last two wins out. But it's like, it's not the one punch. It's the, he had to tire this guy out and hit him with five. And even then, yeah. Tai's fine after the ref stops it. He Blades gets hit with, like, one, two. 
We don't get to five because he probably clenches up and goes for the takedown. Right. So, so you got Lewis, super slow, stood in one place. Ty, slow. When he eventually stopped moving forward, he's fucked. Blagoy, slow, stood in one spot. Ben Rothwell, slow, stood in one spot. Those are his wins. Blaze does not fight like any of those guys, and I think that would be the big difference maker. So we'll talk about the drafting side of things when we get to the bottom of the show, but yeah, I, I do have Curtis Blaze 240. I'm hesitant on whether I think this fight's going to go the distance because is JDS shop-worn? Can he take a 25-minute beating? And Blades is not going to push the pace. Early gonna... total that I saw was one and a half rounds is juiced up to minus 175. Over one and a half. Yeah, over I, I got over half. one and a half I got one, sure. over one and a half. I, I, I would say, personally, I got over three and a half. But then after that, I think the later rounds is where someone's going to get tired. And either Blades, I don't know, if, if he does get tired or if the fight is just gets late and he's not getting takedowns, maybe he gets clipped. If he is getting takedowns and he's roughing up GDS and it's late in the fight. I mean, yeah, being maybe. a big boy like that and trying to grapple for five rounds, we've seen him do it very well for three rounds, but five rounds is it's a different beast when you're 260 pounds. So. He's, he, to me, he's one of those guys that finishes five and gets it. And by the way, he is sweating balls five minutes into the fight, but it's like it doesn't matter. Like He knows how to just keep going and pace himself, and I think it's really important to that key of, He's 28 years old, right? So that's why he's making these improvements between fights, making these improvements between camps. He's got a number of training partners on the card. I think he'll be ready to roll. And uh, I just don't love the price tag. That's, that's the main takeaway. Get ready to enter the ring. DraftKings and Showtime Boxing have partnered to bring you closer to the action than ever before. Introducing the Showtime Boxing Pick'em Game. For every 2019 Showdown Boxing event, you can come out swinging. Each fight card is the opportunity to duke it out for your share of $5,000 and a Showtime boxing swag bag. Head to www.draftkings.com showtime to play against this Saturday's main event featuring Danny Swift Garcia versus Ivan El Terrible Redcatch in a 12-round welterweight title eliminator. Rafael Dos Anjos takes on Michael Chiesa at 170 pounds. Uh, Dos Anjos minus 265 favorite. Chiesa can be had for plus 225. Who you got here? So, so when you look at this matchup, 265 makes all the sense in the world. Like JD or uh, sorry, Rafael Dos Anjos, RDA. He's got he's got all the advantages. It really does. I mean, his takedown defense, whereas it has faltered against the Kamaru Usmans and the Colby Covingtons and the Kevin Lees and the, I guess Leon Edwards is. Leon last Edwards time was able to take him down. <laughs> Leon Edwards is perennially underrated man but but all the same it's like yeah maybe the cracks are starting to show for one rda but traditionally speaking it's like he stuffs michael chiesa's takedowns if he stuffs michael chiesa's takedowns and they're going to stand there and exchange does michael chiesa have any chance in hell like i, I don't know what is he going to do here uh rda's got a cast iron chin the only time he'd been knocked out was eddie alvarez at 155 and we know he had a bad weight cut for that beyond that it's like he went He's gone five rounds, or he went the distance with Khabib. He went five rounds of Tony Ferguson at altitude. He went five rounds of Colby. He went five rounds with Usman. He three rounds five, with Khabib. Three rounds with, with Khabib, the distance. Went five rounds with Tony Ferguson at altitude. Mm-hmm. And then Covington, the number two welterweight in the world. Usman, the number one welterweight in the world. Leon Edwards, probably the number three welterweight in the world. It's like durability is not an issue for this guy. And Michael Chiesa, all of his fights, quick. You know, he gets the guy down, he submits them. The longer his fights go, shit falls apart. He lost a third round against Mitch Clark. Think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. On the basis of, like, he has his way the first two, and then he kind of starts fading off. We've seen him sometimes when he starts to 
lose later on. And he'll blame it on the weight cut. That's why he's fading. At 170, whereas I would say, geez, he's, he's giving up size. He's actually way bigger than Rafael Dos Way bigger. He's six feet tall uh, against Rafael Dos Anjos. He's five foot eight. He's got a longer reach. The thing is, is that using those physical tools in order to beat this guy at range is not how he fights. He fights a gritty style of get in there, close the distance, and try to, and try to work this guy. And whereas that could work in a three-round situation, I, I almost get flashbacks of the Kevin Lee fight. By the way, if that was three, he probably loses. But it's Kevin Lee exerts a lot of energy trying to take this guy down and hold him down. And when that doesn't work, he becomes a sitting duck. When he becomes a sitting duck, he lets himself, he opens himself up to RDA's takedowns and RDA's superior striking. And eventually, he's able to catch him. Uh, it just depends what version of him really shows up. But Michael Chiesa, you go to his, uh, you go to their social media, right? If you like tape studying, great thing to do is go check out their social, see what's going on. And in Rafael Dos Anjos's case, you know, spending his time at the RVCA gym, and uh, you know, oh, you're wearing the hat. Yeah, yeah. You're wearing the hat. But but do you know something is that, and I did not know this, he he attended the same elementary school as Gilbert Burns. They're elementary school buddies, and they reconnected recently, and they're doing a little bit of work together and whatever. I'm not expecting a reinvented version of Rafael Sanos. I'm just expecting, you know, the guy with the skill set that he's proven over the time. Show up, give me a good version of yourself. Kiesa, meanwhile, Kiesa's two weeks out of this big fight. He went to Calgary, Alberta, or not Calgary, went to Banff, Alberta, to go snowboarding for three, four days. Mm. Then then he leaves Banff, middle of training camp, last two weeks of training camp, and goes to Idaho. We've been snowboarding in Idaho the last week. And, and the way he says, oh, well, camp's done. You know, this is a good way to get your, you get uh, physical exercise. Look how many calories I burn. Fuck off, man. Sounds like guy, a good way to <laughs> run into a tree and Well, a lot, a lot, a lot of people, if you go through the comments, a lot of the people are like, if Dana saw this, he'd probably be upset. Not because it's like, what are you doing? You should be training. That's not the problem. It's just like, you're bombing off of a cliff in like the middle middle of nowhere snowboarding. Like, what happens if he rolls his ankle, or like, what happens if he like botches a little drop off and like hurts his knee, and pulls out of the fight? You know how embarrassing that would be to pull out of a huge profile co-main event slot like this because of an injury because you're snowboarding. And I'm not saying this is a mentality thing. I'm not saying it's anything like that. I just mean Rafael dos Anjos is an aged fighter. He's got a family. This is who he is. This is everything he is. This is everything he knows. Michael Chiesa's got that that. It almost seems like, yeah, he's a good fighter, but he's got so many interests outside of fighting that, you know, if, if he gets a favorite, when he's fighting Carlos Condit, this is all day. This is a gimme matchup for Yeah, him. Carlos Condit goes to the ground and gets submitted. That's how, especially aged Carlos Condit, that's how he loses. My one concern about Kia, or with this matchup is yep. I do think Kiesa has like a pronounced strength advantage. Like Leon was able to clinch up and was able to get RDA to the ground, have a little bit of success in that department. I think RDA has lost a step, but it's going to be, I just, I just find it almost hard to think that Kiesa is going to win by submission. If it gets back to the feet, RDA does have a massive striking advantage. And I think he just pieces them out. RDA by decision would be kind of how I see this playing out. RDA by decision. And then for whatever reason, I got like a small gut feeling where it's like RDA by submission is also on the table as well. As good of a grappler as Kiesa is, and he is, when he submits Jim Miller, it's like, fuck, dude, black belt versus black belt. He just submitted Jim Miller. He submits Benel Darius. Whoa, black belt versus black belt. He submits Benel Darius. Now we believe. He gets submitted by Kevin Lee and Anthony Pettis next two before getting Carlos Condit and Diego Sanchez. So he could be very much, he fights the right opponent. He, he looks nobody great. Nobody subs Diego. No, no, nobody, nobody subs Diego. Unless it's, you know, Gary Tonin in a submission-only match or something stupid. But regardless, it's like it's some favorable mat like matchmaking. When you look at Rafael, it's like they never give him Diego Sanchez's of the world. Like he's, you know, he's fought in the best welterweights. He's fought in the best lightweights. 
mind you, and I know I just said this in the first fight, I got Rafael Los Anjos. I think he's got advantages in a lot of places. I'd love if this was five, I'd be heavy on it. Oh, yeah. Three makes me worried because, yeah, you know, and if he gets off to a slow start and Kiesa banks up a couple early rounds, then, then you never know. But the minus 265, it's like, that's not a good price tag. Like, at best, I value him at 225, 230, 240. Act 240 is where I would draw my line and be like, that's that's too expensive for my liking. So 265 is not a particularly great price tag. Kiesa is a live dog in this spot. Not only is he a live dog with some decent value on him, he's a live dog at plus 225. That's some real value on him. So you can't you can't overlook Kiesa, who is probably better suited for 170 anyways. He just needs a breakthrough performance, and they're giving him an opportunity to do just that. Alex Perez takes on Jordan Espinoza in the flyweight division. Alex Perez, minus 260. Espinoza, plus 220. Espinoza coming off of a submission loss to Matt, your boy, Matt Danger Schnell in his last time out. Perez coming off of a win over Mark De La Rosa. Lost to Benavidez. We were all over that Benavidez one. That's one of the best guys in the division. I was surprised that... He was you the know, favorite over Joseph. Benavides was coming off of the injury and stuff, but like that line didn't yeah. make any sense to me whatsoever. I know there was like a bit of a headbutt and blah 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 blah, but Benavides the you know the guys would have been a champion in this division if a guy named Demetrius Mighty Most Johnson didn't exist. He'd be a first ballot Hall of Famer if Demetrius Johnson didn't only, exist. Only only advantage I see for Espinoza here is speed. He is quick, uh, quick, quick in and out of the pocket, but I think Perez in terms of grappling, everything like that, considerably better. I wouldn't be shocked to see him find a submission pretty quick in this fight. What about you? Yeah, I think I might as well staff dick him right now, but I think Alex Perez would be your play of the week. I mean, he he literally, other than the speed advantage, and, and Jordan Espinoza could be the fastest fighter in the UFC. Like, I've never seen anybody move as quick as him, current fastest fighter in the UFC. Prime John Dodson might have something to say about that. But yeah, again, listen, he's a flyweight, fights at 35 at the highest. He is a smaller guy, so he can move quick, but he's just a freak athlete in and out of the pocket. I mean, he's a former state wrestling champion out of New Mexico, so he knows how to wrestle. He spent a lot of time with Latrell in New Mexico. He spent a lot of time uh, with Craig Jackson's camp, obviously. I mean, he's got all the pieces around him to succeed, but it's just like this guy's a hyper athlete. He's not necessarily a hyper fighter and... Yeah, that's going to catch up to you. Now that you're fighting in the UFC and you got to fight the best guys in the world, that's what you're going to run into. Alex Perez, I, I never really jumped on the bandwagon fully, but like he's got significant skill advantage almost everywhere here. Let's say outside of that speed, you're like, okay, well, Espinosa's got the wrestling. It's like Perez is a fantastic wrestler as well. I mean, he's a three-time state champion when he was in high school, Costa Mesa, California. But he also was a was an All-American, you know, a junior college All-American. He's got two older brothers, and they both wrestled, and they were both All-Americans as well. Like, it's a wrestling-heavy family. Then you see him when he comes to the UFC, and it's like he's really working a lot on his striking. If you shoot a takedown on him, he'll just stuff it flat out and right go to the front headlock. Once he's got a front headlock on you, it's like he's got so many moves that he can attack with, whether it be an anaconda, whether it be, you know, attack with a front headlock choke, switch to a guillotine, or just flatten you out and go on top of you. But look at the Shorty Torres fight. It's like he comes in, and he wants to bang. And he's swinging bombs. Him versus Eric Sheldon, he gets outstruck. You know, he has to rely on the takedowns there. But it's like he's working on a strike. In the Torres fight, he knocks out Jose Torres. And then in his last two fights, it's like, man, y- yes, he loses to Joseph Benavidez, rebounds against Mark De La Rosa, but it's like the skill's there. He's taking mm-hmm. down Mark De La Rosa, BJJ Black Belt, and just having his way. When it's striking, he's beating him up standing. He's got skills. And again, he's only like 27 years old, so he's not a shot fighter. He's a Timo Yama guy. I have a, tons of respect for Colin Oyama and all the guys out of that camp. And I just honestly feel like Jordan Espinoza, after the first round, he'll, he'll give a good account of himself the first round. He yeah. always gives a good account of himself the first round, unless he gets finished. 
But it's beyond that, it's like there's no plan B for him, you know. And, and, and for a guy that's as well trained and he has all these accolades and he is a good wrestler, this is his entire career, right? Andrew Che, who's from Welland, Ontario, submits him. Then he lost to Dominic Mazzotta. They're both rear naked chokes. Uh, beyond that, he just he, he's getting out grinded by all these guys. And then Matt Schnell, Matt Schnell, if you rewatch that fight, pulls guard on a guillotine, loses the guillotine, and then just puts on the triangle like it's like it's nothing. He didn't see it coming. He didn't see the setup. His striking, like, I don't know. I, I honestly feel like Perez walks over him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Perez finishes him probably in the second or third round, whether it be a knockout, whether it be a submission. Kid's got a good chin. More than likely, maybe let's go that submission route. But, uh, yeah, he might get f- flat-out safticked because I'm giving him my massive vote of confidence. But mm-hmm. uh, tape studying both guys, it's like outside of one guy being very fast and bouncing in and out. You look at both contender series fights. For Espinoza, he gets rocked in both contender series fights. You look at his fights in the UFC, the Eric Sheldon fight, nothing happens. And then his subsequent affair, he just gets choked out with a triangle from guard that he really should have saw coming. He's going to have a massive set of problems here against Alex Perez. I think Perez gets the job done. We got Angela Hill taking on Hannah Cyphers. Angela Hill, minus 160. Cyphers is plus 140. I hope they've learned that, like, if Cyphers wins, like, let's uh, let's not let's not give Boomhauer the uh, the microphone there. It's it's uh, a little bit much. And like, you go through, <coughs> there's a lot of Cyphers love out there. And trust me, I I hate betting on Angela Hill. It feels like Angela Hill's on a card like every two months. Um, she had four fights last year in 2019. Yeah, so but like pretty much every other month. Cyphers Cyphers wins over Escobel and Pollyanna Vienna. Losing to Barber, who obviously that profile just dropped off of a cliff this past weekend. I, the one thing she's got going for her is that she's tough. I guess Angela Hill is coming on short notice. This was supposed to be taking place. Uh, supposed to be Cyphers versus Brianna Van Buren. But Hill's been in there with a lot of good fighters. I don't know if I'm going to get there in terms of a bet, but she will definitely be my pick to win. I just think she's more active, more long, is going to be able to outstrike Cyphers, who I don't really respect her ground game all that much. Yeah, I'm I'm almost leaning towards a dog or pass situation. Maybe pass would be the smart play altogether. Angela Hill is coming on short notice, but it's actually four weeks, which is not overly short notice. She was in good shape when she took the fight anyways, and she kind of thought she might have something on the horizon. So I, I don't think that she's going to be compromised all that well from it. She's got the striking advantage. She's got the length advantage. She's got the output advantage. She's got the speed advantage. She's got a general striking advantage. But Cyphers is tough. One thing with Angela Hill is if you can't beat her in a technical fight, you got to make it an ugly fight. you got to make it a dirty fight. And that's what at least Cyphers is capable of doing. The last thing there is that uh, Hannah Cyphers is a brown belt in BJJ versus is a blue belt for Angela Hill. And whereas Angela Hill gets on the ground, she's a fish out of water. It's mm-hmm. just the way her entire career has been. You stand in front of her, you strike with her, you bang with her, she's probably going to land more significant strikes, a lot more of them. And she's then, durable. It's very durable, and they're usually always close fights. You know that Casey Sanchez fight, Courtney Casey Sanchez? I thought she won that fight, but they give her a split to Courtney Casey Sanchez because it's like Angela Hill's in a lot of close fights. And if you're a big, aggressive fighter that is moving forward and going after her then it's going to be a close greasy fight she's been losing those on the scorecards more often than not seemingly and then it goes back to the ground game thing if cyphers is able to muscle her to the ground then she's going to have the grappling advantage all it takes is one takedown on hill and then she doesn't exactly get up all that often so i'm a little bit worried on that 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 would lead me to believe dog play at plus 140 won't be the worst thing in the world smart enough would be just to pass all clear because Hill does have the striking advantage by quite a, a margin. I mean, Cyphers just walks forward and gets 
gets hit fairly often, but she's tough. She's rugged. She keeps going. And and, and to, just to touch on your point with Macy Barber, honestly, I don't shit on Macy Barber that much. Like it was a bad performance and all that, but like she blew her knee out. So if she doesn't blow it her knee out, does she lose? Yeah, maybe, possibly. I mean, she got but absolutely wrecked in round one. Yeah, but I'll tell you where that doesn't matter. When did she hurt her knee? Okay, so I think she hurt her knee in the second round, that jab, and then she falls down. I think that's where so everybody... round one, she got taken sure. down and, and controlled the entire round. So two points As a minus 1,000 favorite! No, I know, I know. I'm just saying two points to that is that like her and her team seem to believe that she blew the knee early in the fight. They're saying 10 seconds into the fight. They're saying that you can see the knee blow out. She steps on Roxy's foot, whatever. But beyond that, it's like Macy Barber lost the first round against Hannah Cyphers. Macy Barber lost the first round against J.J. Aldrich. Why are we writing her off? Because she lost the first round. Like, who's to say if she didn't blow out her knee in the second round, she doesn't get taken down? And was Roxanne Modafferi going to outstrike her for the next 10 minutes? Like, I don't know. Listen, Roxy was the play, and it was a huge win for her, and I can't discredit that girl at all. What a badass. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying at least there's a little bit of an asterisk there. Hack Paras just got flat out knocked the fuck out. There's a difference there. Back to this fight, it's like Cyphers gave her a, a, a good first round. You know, maybe she could still take away something from that. She was aggressive. She was in her face. That's much of what she'll have to do against Angela Hill. But Angela Hill trains at a far superior gym. And and you know what? I always say one last point. Here's a greasy theory for you. Uh, Hannah Cyphers is from fucking North Carolina. <laughs> she spent this entire camp in North Carolina, and she's the fan favorite. She's probably going to be in a fight that goes to decision against Angela Hill. It's probably going to be relatively competitive, as most of Angela Hill's fights are, and she might get fucked over on a scorecard on a split decision, as she tends to do. So just pass. Or if you're feeling bold, take the dogger pass. I'll be passing. We got Jamahal Hill taking on Darko Stosic. Uh, Hill is minus 135. Stosic plus 115. Hill coming out of the Michigan scene, which you... Are usually pretty well versed. Yes, in the Michigan scene is uh, what? What can you tell us about Hill here making his UFC debut? Obviously yeah. coming off of the Contender series, but yeah, he come off the Contender series, long rangey southpaw striker. One thing I will give him is uh, so this is three his fourth professional fight. He fought Daquan Townsend. Daquan Townsend also on this card. He was three and zero. Daquan Townsend was nineteen and seven. Like who does that? Somebody who has faith in himself, his coaches have faith in themselves, and they knew we beat Daquan. Daquan's got 25 pro fights, and he was not a prospect, but he had enough skills that they thought he might be able to eventually get to the UFC. Fuck, he did eventually get to the UFC. And he goes out there, and he he beat him pretty handedly. Um, After that, it's just like nobody really wants to fight the guy, so he sits around, he's middling. He took took a stay-busy fight again. Nobody wants to fight this guy. Finally, Dana and them were just like, we'll give you a contender series contract. He comes on, he takes on this Alexander Popek. Popek's the favorite. People say Popek's all right. And honestly, uh, Hill's, Hill's decent. He stays on the outside. He's a long-rangey guy. Again, southpaw, good with his kicks, accurate with his punches, and it slowly just breaks this guy down, breaks this guy down, breaks this guy down, hurts him, puts him down, and then gets on top of him and finishes him off. When the fight gets first announced, I'm like, oh, I'm looking to fade this guy. I don't think he's in particularly great shape. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's the biggest 205er anyways. And against Darko Stosic, someone who's got, I, I like, it's just like, oh, I got Stosic, but... But when you look at it, it's just like, don't ever bet on Darko Stosic ever again. I the mean, guy just doesn't throw enough punches. No, he doesn't throw anything, man. He's, he so, he's Eric Anders. He's Croatian Eric Anders. nothing. So it's like, yeah, it's going to oh. be hard to win on the scorecards when you're throwing 10 strikes around. Yeah, nothing. And then it's like, okay, well, what else has he got? And it's like, well, he doesn't throw punches. And it's like, well, what about his kicks? It's like, yeah, he's got good kicks. It's like, okay, but does he throw those? It's like, yeah, once in a while. It's like, well, what else has he got? Judo black belt. 
Does he take guys down? No. Yeah. He holds them up against the cage. It's like, I'm failing to see what this guy brings to the table. He's in fucking awesome shape. But he's a middleweight, you know? He should be fighting at 85, and then he wouldn't be giving up much well, of the size advantage. He used to fight at, at heavyweight. Yeah, well, his legs, his, like, the bulk of his weight, they're just so unbelievably thick. But, but one thing I will give him here is he comes to the UFC, he wins a couple fights, doesn't look great. He's Jeremy Kimball, the one time I went against Kimball, thankfully. <laughs> And then in his last two fights, it's like he takes on Devin... Um, Devin Clark and yeah, Kennedy on, and Juku. And in the Clark fight, it's just like, okay, it's judo black belt versus collegiate wrestling. And it's just like, ah, uh, Clark's having his way, you know? Like, he's not taking him down, per se, but he's controlling him against the cage. And then in the open field, like, Darko's just not throwing enough. Now, mind you, Clark wins the first round. Darko wins the second. So now it's a gut check fight here. Pull it out in the third. Can't. Momentum's in his corner. He just won the second. We need to continue that, and he kind of gets a little bit tired. Against Kennedy and Jakubu, he he wouldn't stop hitting him in the balls. Now, mind you, Kennedy's so tall. I mean, maybe you could make an excuse for him, but it's like he lost two fucking points off low blows, gave a shit account of himself, and would have probably lost a – I think he would have lost a split even without the point deductions, but it wasn't wasn't a great He didn't seem to understand the referee. He's just like, I'm going to have to take points. If you keep hitting him in the balls, and we just hit him in the balls again. And he, and he just had, he, there's nothing. So here it's like, I don't love Hill, but like it's a gimme that Hill's going to stay to the outside and just quite simply outwork this guy. Now, one narrative that kind of I'm, I'm thinking too much is throwing a wrench in my plans is I like Darko initially because he come from the European scene and he was training with Krokop at Krokop's ca- uh, camp. And yeah, maybe that's why he'd been working on his light kicks. And yeah, maybe that's why he's very hard to take down. Who knows? But he shit the bed massively his last two fights. And if he shows up like that guy again, he fucked. So he got a camp change in. Good for him. Good camp change. Where would a guy who needs a change of scenery... And by the way, Krokoff's my guy. But he can't even spar anymore. He's got a brain aneurysm. Any camp would be an improvement from that camp currently right now. But he doesn't go to ATT. He doesn't go to Jackson's. He doesn't go to any of those gyms. He goes to Elevation, where he can work on his cardio mm-hmm. and work with Curtis Blades. And him and Blades have put in so a lot of work. So maybe he'll be able to throw, like, 20 strikes around. And that could be enough to win the fight. <laughs> against against uh, <laughs> Jamala Hill. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. This, this, I would say that Hill at the minus 135, it's not a, brad, a bad price tag. I can't buy on Stosich just on the simple narrative that he switched camps. He just doesn't throw enough. He doesn't do enough. And again, remember how you said... He used to fight a heavyweight. It's like, yo, dude, he did used to fight a heavyweight. You see the pictures of Blades next to him? It's like, how? How did he ever fight at heavyweight? Mm-hmm. Then at light heavyweight, it's like, oh, he's he's still small, right? Yeah. Hill hasn't been able to show us everything. He's a little bit, I think he's already, no, he's only 28 years old, right? So he's 28 years old. He's finally got this big opportunity. He's only got six fights in the UFC. You know, he's going to have to show something off here, but he'd be in a good position to finally make that break on through and, and, and have a performance over a guy that's 0-2 and, and just lost to Kenny and Jakuwu, who's one of the greenest fighters in the UFC, you know? I mean, he's really figuring it out as he goes against a, a versatile striker who's long and rangy. And I think he's going to have trouble, so I'll take Hill. We got Bavon Lewis taking on Daquan Townsend, the aforementioned Daquan Townsend. Uh, Bavon Lewis, minus 450 favorite. Townsend, plus 360. Amadovsky was supposed to take on Bavon Lewis. He had to pull out. Townsend got off of suspension for cocaine and fentanyl metabolites. Now, not I don't think he was actually – the metabolites <laughs> leads me to believe that, like, Daquan, you need a new drug dealer. Like, this is – this guy's trying to kill you or something here. But, uh, yeah, we'll leave that at that. Uh, Townsend does not really belong at this level, but how the hell are you going to feel? I saw some people who got, like, minus 300, minus 290 – that type of price on Lewis, I'm, that makes more sense to me. But 
How can you put your faith in Bavon Lewis, you know, Jackson Wink guy? Oh, he trains with John Jones. Have you heard that he trains with John Jones? It's like how many times? So does Phil Hawes. Yeah. And you guys are pricing him as a guy who trains with uh, with John Jones. And, like, it's really I – can't, I can't lay this number on a guy like Bavon Lewis after, you know, uh, he was doing okay against Uriah Hall and then gets clipped. Like, it's clear that the guy's ability to take damage is not – very good. He's probably taken some beatings against John Jones in the in the uh, in the gym many upon many times before. But yeah, this this uh, Daquan Townsend is basically a scrub. Like this guy is not UFC caliber. The line, I guess, makes sense at this point, but I'm not I'm not putting money on Bavon Lewis. It's it's a real stay away for me. What about you? I'm gonna hit hard Bavon Lewis, I think. Uh yeah, I agree. 450? Oh, I agree with you. This is a terrible price tag for a guy that has looked abysmal in his last two performances, is a busted prospect, and and they're still making you pay four fifty? Like what up with that? But it's just like, oh they they gave him they gave him a fight to get back on mm-hmm. track. Daquan Townsend should not be in the UFC. Daquan Townsend wouldn't even make it into the Bellator roster. He actually has fought for Bellator. You know when they're in the area and they of need course. a guy. Yeah, they don't let like Owen three guys <laughs> fight on those undercards. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. But yeah. yeah, as far as like an elite level goes, like Daquan's not elite level. And I, I I'm not saying you can't be an elite level athlete and do cocaine, because it's like if you watch the NHL, but I mean, it's John like, Jones these is guys, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost the undisputed goat. Yeah, yeah. But like this guy's got fentanyl. <laughs> what the fuck is he up to? Uh, but you look at his record, right? And you know how very much like right place, right time. We need a warm body. That's how he made the UFC. His, his, his last three fights prior to coming to the UFC, he lost to Hill. It was 3-0, and a nobody. He beat Portland Pringle the third, who was 11-10. and He beat him on a split decision. Then he beat Wayman Carter, who was 7-9. and and then the UFC needed a body. And they're For like, Delka, you know what? Delka, because they're like, this guy looks yes! very nice looking, and, and, getting off the bus. And Dalka hits like a fucking tank. So let's put someone in front of him. Who, who by the way, Towns, he's got some durability. If he's got anything, he's got some yeah. durability. The fucking fentanyl didn't kill him. I mean, it's hard for him. <laughs> you know what I mean? This guy can take it. And so he at least lasted three rounds. But he's just massively outgunned the entire time. Whereas with Pavon Lewis... But Vaughn Lewis, they throw him in way too early, right? He takes on Uriah Hall. Bad fight for an undefeated prospect. And he wins round one, and he wins round two, and he gets clipped. Ah, this is Hall. Hall does that. The next fight with, with, with Stewart, right? Um, Darren Stewart, the dentist. Fuck, man. He's got all the wrestling advantage in the world. Darren Stewart can't grapple. Take him down. Beat him up. And he, he lays a big, fat goose egg. Now I'm worried. But then Stewart goes and beats Stewart Darren Wynn by been, standing the motherfucker up and beating him up. So, yeah, you know what? He's been one of the most improved fighters over the last couple of years. That's a bad rub. So this guy, it's not as bad when you consider, fuck, he took on a, a top 15, perennial top 15 contender in Hall and gave a good account of himself. Till he got hauled. Many of excellent men have been hauled. And then he takes on a guy that I think a lot of people, just myself included, were guilty of underrating. And then the way that the style clash, yeah, he, he lost. But now they're putting him specifically back on track, being like, hey, we're going to give you, not only we're going to give you Daquan, we were initially going to give you Alan Dovsky, who cannot grapple, is a one-dimensional power puncher from Moldova. He's not from Moldova. He's from a weird-ass country. Anyways, mm-hmm. we're going to give you a one-dimensional power puncher from Macedonia, Oh, shit, he bailed out. Oh, fuck. Well, who's the next worst guy that we can give? You know, Alan Dosky's 0-2 in the UFC. They're doing this for Bavon. They're doing this for Jackson. They're doing this for John Jones. Why would you give a guy the softest matchup possible, and when it peeled out, you gave him potentially an even softer matchup? 
and it's 450, you know, like idiot like me just played fucking 850 on Macy Barber. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I guess I could do worse than Bavon Lewis at 450. Daquan beats him, then he'll never fight again, and it would just be, I don't want to live in a world where Daquan Townsend has a win in the UFC because it's just like UFC caliber is so shot and dead at this point. It's not a saying anymore. Anybody can make the UFC case in point right here. But if everything is right in the world and there is a fight god, like I, I don't see Bavon Lewis losing this unless he got clipped and he's not going to get clipped. Amandovsky could have clipped him. He's got power against Townsend. It's like, I, how am I going to? I've seen regional guys in Michigan talk shit about him. Regional guys in Michigan, the promoter, I, I can't name names. They're not even high on him. He's fighting for them. He's like, they're champ. You made it to the UFC, they're all laughing. Holy fuck, did you hear Daquan got signed? Oh, he got smoked in his UFC debut. Oh, they'll cut him. Holy fuck, did you hear Daquan got a second fight? Well, now we're just waiting for him to get smoked, and that'd yeah, be They the only end. let him fight there because they it was a late-notice late, late replacement, wasn't it? And they were in Chicago, and it was like, we need a guy on like a week's notice to take on the EFC champion. They need a guy on a week's notice. They bring him in. He loses the fight. In his post-fight drug test, it comes up cocaine and fentanyl. And you know what they sit there and they look at? Eight-month suspension? And this it was guy, only six months that he got. Why would you keep him on the roster? Why? Because he's got a serviceable role here. Lewis he's got a win. serviceable role here. Yeah. Someone's going to need the rub. And Bavon just happens to be the guy getting said rub. But on the DraftKings side, which we'll talk about at the end, like Daquan's only thing is he is actually half durable. And the 9,300 on Bavon, who's going to fight a gun-shy game plan because of the way his last two performances have gone, that's not going to lead you up to yeah, getting fair. those 9,300 points. You know, 93 points you would need to at least make it worth your while. So I, I would hit a flat pass on DraftKings. But the 450, as crazy as it does sound, I'm interested in putting it on some parlays. Well, I'm scared. But <laughs> Buddy, you're, you're telling I, me. I mean, I'm going to probably follow suit on you. Uh, anyway, we got... Uh, Arnold Allen taking on Nick Lentz at 145 pounds. Arnold Allen was supposed to take on Josh Emmett. Nick Lentz was supposed to take on Nad Naramani. Both of those guys pulled out, so they're like, well, let's get these guys Might as well at save it. Nick Lentz used to say that he was not able to fight at 145 pounds anymore. So it's interesting that this is at featherweight, to be perfectly honest. I mean, he was completely undersized at 155 pounds, so maybe he went up there took on Chucky Olives one more time at one at 155 and was just like, all right, this is a different beast. I, I got to figure this out. But uh, that's an interesting thing of note. The guy who said, like, my body is shutting down. I'm not able to fight at this weight class again is going back to 145. Arnold Allen is minus 310. Nick Lines plus 255. Who you got here? Yeah, well, this one's actually very, very strange that he is going down to 45 because not only does he go on record being like, I can't make 45. He goes on record being like, I've done irreparable damage to my body yeah, my from attempting shut down. to make 45. He's bailed out of a number of fights with like fight-related health issues on Fight Week. 45 is not the way it should go. Now, at 55, and he fought at 55 way back in the day, but back at 55, it's like, ah, oh, dude, times have passed him by. I would argue he looked the best he has at 55. His fight with Gray Maynard is so shot, you can't take anything away from that. Money knocks out Gray. Give him that at least. The Scott, fight with Scott Holtzman, though, that's impressive to me because Holtzman's big and physical. Uh, not the most technical going guy, but, you know, he's at least got some strengths and some good attributes. Nick Lenz just had his way with him, like, effortless. Whatever he felt like doing, he was able to employ a, a solid game plan because, you know what, he is a decent former D1 All-American collegiate wrestler. He has good grappling. He is a greedy guy, gets in your face, good cardio. He's got a lot of tools. The Charles Oliveira fight, it shouldn't be a, oh, shit, man, this isn't for me. It's like, 
Fighting Charles Oliveira isn't for you. You've already attempted to do it two previous times. <laughs> Neither one went good. You got a no contest out of one, but you still got a concussion. The second time, he flat out blew the tits off you, and now you're attempting to fight this man again. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it went no different than it ever has. So to now for him to be like, I got to go back down to 45 on the account of losing to Charles Oliveira, I don't fully understand that. The older you get, the tougher it is to make weight. He left American Top Team. He's kind of been doing his own thing. He's been moving from gym to gym. Like again, I I don't know. I don't know that he's gonna come in here at the as the best version of Nick Lentz with an awesome weight cut with three rounds cardio ready to go. He does have a wrestling advantage and a grappling advantage over Arnold Allen. Arnold Allen would have a striking advantage, but Arnold Allen's not a one-hitter quitter. He doesn't have that big power. It's going to be hard to keep Nick Lentz off of you. Arnold Allen has shown pretty decent takedown defense as well. The takedown defense he's But shown, I don't know if he's yeah. taken on a, a guy with the wrestling, or at least at this stage. Like I guess he took on Gil. Gil used to have great wrestling, but... Gill is a shell of himself at this right. point. Right, and, and here's one thing I found concerning when I went through some of the tape, right? So the Alan Omer fight, it, it's, oh, it's five years ago, but like he struggled severely in the takedowns against Alan Omer, right? Yeah. The Maquan Americani fight, he wins a split. He struggled severely with Maquan Americani's wrestling. The Mads Burnell fight, he choked out Burnell's in the third. He was down two rounds. He could not stop Matt Burnell's takedowns. Fair. And then after that, Jordan Rinaldi can wrestle, and Gilbert Melendez theoretically can wrestle but not that gill yeah i can't wrestle anymore right and so he shined against those two guys especially against gilbert melendez where you know that was his masterpiece but again it's a great stylistic clash over a young prospect over an aging contender and he got the rub and he made himself look good but now against nick lentz you know him and emmett would have been super interesting because emmett's faster than nick lentz he's got a, probably he's, he's a better striker he's got more power he's a decent wrestler himself and he's one of these guys that's not considered you know shot on the way out whereas lentz I mean, he's 2-1 and one in his last three. He's not really shot to bits, but there's just a perception on him, where especially at coming down to 45, like, he's damaged good. So Allen needs to keep the fight standing and outbox this guy. Could he do that? Yeah. But I am very worried about, like, lesser men have gotten this guy down, mm -hmm. and when they have gotten him down, they've had their way. And if, yeah, Lentz was able to... What he did against you, Holtz yeah, was perfect. If he does that exact game plan, but that was a great going to be his game plan. Yeah, That's what Nick yeah, Lentz does yeah, when yeah, he's yeah. winning. And he's got a no-quit attitude. He's fairly durable as long as he's not fighting Charles Oliveira. It's like you could do worse for a dog play. And then 7K than, on DK than, when we get there. Yeah, and the reason you know, the reason why it's very appealing to me is his Arnold Allen, and I do like him, and, and truthfully, deep down, I do believe he wins this matchup, but I could never go 310 yeah. on him in, in, in a matchup where he's taking on a guy that has the skill set required to defeat him. So 310 is just too big of a price. Now I get thinking, wow, is it such a big price that I should make a floater on Nick Lentz? Potentially. I have to see the Wayans. Yeah. This is a fight that's strictly you don't bet until you see them on the scale uh, staring at each other. That, that, that is very important to you. Gotta you got to make so sure he makes off. weight and he doesn't look like death. Yeah. And he's, you know, ideally he's got a smile on his face while he's at 145 pounds. I can almost guarantee you there'll, be a, towel like out. there'll be a towel out and you'll be able to see his eye sockets. That is almost a guarantee. Yeah. He doesn't even seem that big for 145, but it sounds like, yeah, a history of like kidney damage basically yeah and then one day it's like let's go do it again <laughs> i don't know man was that the solution moving on down we've got a pink slip fight if i've ever seen a pink slip fight lucy pudelova loser of her last three fights she's a minus 175 favorite taking on justine quiche who has lost her last two um so three straight losses two straight losses i mean they probably like pudelova because she always this girl she comes brings to fight. it oh yeah she brings it that but she does losses to antonina shevchenko carmouche and irene irene aldana that's actually not it's a pretty tough stretch for somebody who's like 
you know, on the outskirts of this level of competition. Quiche losses to Jin Young Kim and Felice Herrig. Not so hot. Um, I mean, I think Pudelova probably wins on volume and aggression here. But this is not a fight I really have much interest in betting, especially at minus 175 for somebody who's lost their last three and is taking on a striker with maybe even better credentials. Yeah, well, you know what? Justine Keish, first time I saw her fight, uh, she had fought Ronda Marcos. It was RFA. And, like, she makes a lot of mistakes, man, but she is so strong and she is so aggressive. And she just eventually breaks down Marcos, who's, you know, that's kind of how she fights. I was like, wow, this girl's going to go to the UFC and I'm going to make some money betting Justine Keish. She makes it to the ultimate fighter and right off the hop, she blew her knee out on tough, never competed on the show. So it was like, okay. She's a little bit older. She got a knee problem. Not great. Comes to the UFC. She beats Nina Ansaroff. First fight in the UFC. In hindsight, especially. Huge win. Beats Ashley Yotter. Again, she's very strong, but like she just makes tons of technical like mistakes. And that's where she runs into problem. Her last two fights, Felice Herrig and Ji Yun Kim. It's like they're they're Felice Herrig, especially. I was all over Quiche. Like, what's Herrig gonna do? Herrig can grapple. Herrig's got a black belt. Herrig's got she's opportunistic and she fights with a good game plan. This girl makes quiche, makes so many mistakes. You just got to wait, bide your time, and find that exact mistake. She beats her with the grappling. It's the ji kim fight that I'm now more concerned. Quiche fails to pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. She fails to do anything of note. Now, Justine Quiche says, I can't make 115. The, the weight cuts are just, they take so much out of me. I got a bad knee. You know, straining myself to make 115, it's hurting me. I'm having a bad weight cut. I don't have enough energy. I'm moving up to 125. Whereas that is a good idea. You know, we're just talking about Nick Lenz. Hey, Nick Lenz actually looked better, in my opinion, at 55 without the bad weight cut. The, the problem is, is that Nick Lenz is a good grappler. Nick Lenz is a good wrestler. Nick Lenz has got a lot of experience and knows how to get the job done. Quiche, her, the only reason she was a good fighter was because she was so big and strong. Not big. Very, very strong and overpowering at 115 pounds. Mm -hmm. So now her moving up to 125 pounds, even though the stylistical match is in Taking her favor. On somebody who has fought at 135 and is moving down, yes. you give away all of those advantages. Your strength and just, oh, I rip people to the ground. You may not be able to rip this girl to the ground. And if you don't rip her to the ground, you're going to have trouble because Pudilova is a superior striker. She's got way more output. She's longer. She's ranger. She's faster. And she's just going to stay to the outside and pick her apart. It will go to decision. Lucy Pudilova will probably get her hand raised after the conclusion of said decision. Uh, but but I could see you saying, fuck it, I don't want no part of this fight and moving all together. Pudilova's minus 175 on a three-fight losing streak. And not only is it just a three-fight losing streak, it's like Antonina Shevchenko choked you out in your last fight. That's a really bad look. Mm -hmm. She's only like 25, 26. That to me says not making improvements, which is a bad look. Keish, on the other hand, it's like, Keish does also not make improvements. She's banged up. She's moving up a weight class. Tons of uncertainty here. I would love to take that play on the dog and say, geez, plus 155. We've got a, we've got a fight that's probably closer to a pick'em. She's giving up a little bit of size. That was her, her primary you know, strength, was being a lot stronger. She gives that away. Maybe she's not all that effective. But, but the pricing is just way off. Like, Pudilova should be a slight favorite, mm -hmm. and I would agree with that. For pl plus 155, it makes me want to take that one last shot on Keish. Hey, she's been good to me. Not in the last two. Maybe we get back on track, but it's like, don't don't be chasing someone who's lost their last two fights. You you back them their last two fights. They gave a poor account of themselves, and since then they've dealt with injuries, a layoff, and moving up a weight class. Is that someone you want to back? Nope. No, it's just too many questions. So I, I would say that you're best to steer clear. Um, but when I give my final rundown of all the fight picks at the end of the show, 
Unless she ends up being the Kelleher, we need a dog. Like, I, I could see Pudilova just doing enough to edge this one out. Oh, actually, you know what? Fuck everything I just said, because Keisha's also from Carolina. She's she's the home, she'll be the hometown favorite, yeah, too. Yeah, This one's going like, to decision. It's going to decision. Yeah, it's going to be like, greasy. Do you think the people pass, in Carolina... She's like, she's got a Russian flag next to her name. Do you think people really... Do you think the whole community has really embraced Justine Keish, that she's a North Carolinian? Like, I don't think so. You know what? The thing is, you go to weigh-ins, and the people see it on the program, and they're like, yeah, and then they cheer, and then you get the pop, and then the commission's on board, and then you never know. It doesn't matter if you're going to finish the person, but, like, I Have we ever been to North Carolina before? No. No, so I don't know. So we don't know anything about this commission. That's scary. Oh, I've seen... Do they have their own commission? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a commission. Is it, like, on a Texas level? Because that would be bad. Mm. Texas is the worst. Texas is Texas, a pretty bad commission. Ontario. <laughs> Ontario's getting better, but there was a time, no doubt about it. Yeah, I just think that the longer your commission's been around, like Vegas, been around a long time. So even though people like to shit on it, like it's a good commission. And New York, New York's supposed to be a good commission. They've been around the longest, right? But it's like the biggest jabronis because they never got into MMA until like the last ten years. So it's like nothing ever really advanced there. You got to go to California. California's probably got the best scene. It's like it's been popular. I mean, California Vegas, for a long Vegas time. does it right. Vegas does it right. You're always going to have a bad apple here and there. Yeah, scorecards are usually pretty much on. Like Texas, you see like home cooking pretty regularly. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, us Canadians are no better. It's I just think it's like it's like a fight style type thing. Carolina is actually really popular for karate, and I think like Stephen Thompson spent a lot of time there. Justin Scoggins, he's out of Carolina. Those are all South Carolina. Right, right. But I just mean Carolina in general. She's she actually, for as much as she never uses it, I think she has a karate background mm-hmm. as well. So I, I don't know. I'm not saying that's going to give her a favorable rub. I just mean if if it's a close fight, I think we agree this is going to be a close fight. If it goes to decision, I think we agree this is going to go to the decision. Yeah, I I don't know. I, you know what? Whereas I said Dogger passed the first time around, and I said you know what, that's a that's a pass. Quiche plus 155 with the hometown cooking, that might be enough to swing it in my favor. Your smart play here is if you're not an idiot degenerate, it's just pass. And I may consider myself an idiot degenerate, and I might be interested in a plus 155 and old Justin Quiche. All right, we got the biggest favorite on the card, Montel Jackson. He's minus 640 favorite, taking on Felipe Calares, who can be had for plus 470. Montel Jackson, as we've seen, guys... A super athlete seems to have a lot of potential. This is a big price that they're asking us to pay here. And because he's just been rolling through dudes and like, he seems when he gets top position, like he seems to have a really crafty uh, submission game, everything like that on the feet, super fast and, and pretty, uh, you know, pretty crisp and everything like that. Like he looks he looks like a good prospect moving forward, but they are asking us to pay quite a penny here. Minus 640. Seems a little steep for my liking. Um, it's a, it's, I think Montel Jackson wins, but minus 640, I don't think I'm going to be adding him. Because Colares, we don't know for sure, but Colares could, be gra- could have a grappling advantage yeah, He's here. a Tino Guerra guy, yeah. You would assume he knows how to grapple. I mean, he got, he got absolutely trucked by Geraldo De Freitas when they... That, that was his UFC debut. Yeah. And I think it was De Freitas' UFC debut as well. But, you know, against Polarte last time out, when you see that... Or when you see Colares having an advantage, it was just like he really dominated that fight. Against Polarte. I think Montel Jackson is a significant step up from Polarte, but at minus 640, 
I'm not willing to really find out. Yeah, no, I'm going to agree. I think Montel Jackson is a legitimate prospect. He's got all the physical tools in the world. He's long, he's rangy, he's fast, he's athletic. And the word on him, I've never met the guy, but the word on him is like his hand. He's got like one of the biggest hands in the UFC. And you'll see in certain fights, like the Ricky Simon fight, which he lost, mm -hmm. it's like he grabbed wrist control on Ricky. And Ricky's like full on trying to fight off wrist control and just can't free himself of this guy. And it's like, damn, maybe there's something there. Then he takes on Brian Kelleher. Well, man, we know this guy's got a grappling deficiency. We know Ricky Simon took him down multiple times. Kelleher will just do the same thing. He choked out Kelleher. Impressive because Kelleher's a black belt known for his wrestling and his grappling. So to catch him in the front headlock and put him away, and the speculation for myself is maybe Kelleher's got one foot out the door. Showed us this weekend. He's still got a little bit left in the tank. So that's a good win. But then the Sukumantoth fight, like, he just wrecks him. Now you got a guy that he's been fighting professionally for two and a half years. Made his pro debut in mid-2018. Like, damn. We're not at 2017, mid 2017. It's like, damn, two and a half years of pro experience under his belt. And now he's already fighting the UFC. He won his Dana White Contender Series fight. He had a loss to Ricky Simon. Good for him. He's making advancements. He's getting better. But 640 is not the price you pay on a guy that's developing, getting better, and he's been fighting pro for two and a half years. I mean, years. we paid minus 1,000 for. <laughs> and that was a Macy lesson Park. learned, Paul. You yeah, know what happens? Exactly. You learn your lesson like, and you, you move forward. Don't pay those prices on unproven prospects that haven't really taken that yes, next step yet. Yes, and this is a card that features a 240 Curtis Blades, a 265 Rafael Dos Anjos, a 260 Alex Perez, a 450 Bavon Lewis, and now a 640 Montel Jackson. A lot of chalk, okay? I agree Perez 260 makes sense. I agree Bavon Lewis 450 makes sense. This shit don't make sense. Now... The only way Corrales wins this fight is he has to get him down. If he doesn't get him down and he's forced to stand with him, he's going to get fucked up. And I don't think he's got the wrestling to get him down. Mm -hmm. However, how can I make the judgment of he doesn't have the wrestling to get him down when I've not seen enough of his wrestling, truthfully, and I just don't really know about Montel Jackson. There's one loss. He was outgrinded. Yeah, he's making improvements. But he's at a Pura Vida in Milwaukee. You know, he spent some time at Rufus's camp. All those guys' similarity kind of deal with deficiencies in the grappling department i don't want to get exposed 640 is i would have to put him on a parlay and then he's going to be my apple pie shitter i can't bet him straight up 640 are you kidding me and i think he knocks him out if he does win so i take it inside the distance but it's like i i, I hate floating out a prop like that like he's gonna knock this guy out. it's like how do you know this guy took a shit kicking against domingo Pilarte. stuck stuck the course grinded through got the win i don't think it's gonna be that easy against montel jackson but 640 is just it's too too, too heavy for mine Mama Bear McMahon takes on Lena Landsberg. McMahon, minus 155. Landsberg, plus 135. How do you see this one shaking out? Yeah, so this is a perennial apple pie shitter in Sarah McMahon, which I suddenly see a lot of love uh, on the interwebs for her, and I just don't understand why. How can you trust her at this point? Yeah, and listen, I fully understand. That it's like, if it was a question mark, and it said, Olympic silver medalist in freestyle wrestling, former collegiate wrestling champion, one of the greatest wrestlers in divisional history versus Swedish Muay Thai champion. I wouldn't even need a name. I wouldn't need an age. It's just like it writes itself, right? The wrestler's going to take down Landsberg and smash Landsberg. And Landsberg's had trouble against lesser grapplers like Aspen Ladin, Kunitskaya taking her down and thrashing her. Why shouldn't Sarah McMahon do it? The difference is Aspen Ladin, she's a fighter. She goes out there. She, she'll get hit, you know? She'll persevere. With Kunitskaya, it's like I've seen this girl in the hospital with her nose shifted all the way over, smiling like like she's bred for this. Once things go bad for McMahon, she finds the way Sarah to the door. Sarah McMahon is, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's kind of started with the Rousey fight. She took that 
Maybe it was the pressure. The I don't body. know. She takes the knee of the body, crumbles, absolutely crumbles. And then, you I know, Ketlin Vieira and like the list goes on and on. Sarah McMahon is usually in a dominant position, dominating the fight. And then all of a sudden there's like a trigger that goes off in her brain and she just like collapses and lets the other person do whatever they want to her. Whatever. And it's just like she looks for a way out. Like, truthfully, if I was ever in a bank and the place got robbed, I'd want to be next to Sarah McMahon because she'll find the nearest way out. Like, <laughs> it's just kind of been the mark on her. Now, she's an excellent competitor. And, you know, Mama Bear McMahon, she's got a... I wouldn't say she's got a great story. She's got a fucking tragic-ass story. But here's somebody who's persevered and is, is a competitor. But competitor and fighter are not the same. And whereas it's very easy to shit on, on Lena Landsberg, believe me, very easy to she shit on her. She may be making a little She's turn. making improvements, man. Yeah. She realizes none of these girls really want to stand I with mean, me, so they're all trying to grind me. And she's, yeah. she's big for the weight class. Because she's big for the weight class, she's causing them to work. The more they work, they're opening her up. Tanya Evinger and Macy Chason, they're not the most technical, but they're both big, they're both physical, and they both rely on having to peel the opponent to the ground. Evinger not being able to have her way in the grappling department, everyone writes it off. Like, oh, Evinger shot, Evinger shot. It was surprising. Ah, oh, Evinger shot. So now you give her Macy Chase on. Macy Chase on's the exact opposite. She's on her way up. She won the Ultimate Fighter. She's looking fucking awesome. She's she's big for the weight class. She stands her Got up. Got exposed. Yeah, stands her up like nothing. Exposed. Exposed. So you just exposed a former Invicta champ that people loved in Evinger. You exposed her for being over the hill you just exposed macy chase on an undefeated tough champion that people were high on you exposed her and now you're taking on someone who's her story is all she does is get exposed and i and i'm and i'm worried i am worried because yeah it's wrestler versus versus not even wrestler versus grapple or uh wrestler versus striker it's wrestler versus muay thai striker like it's especially so the way they stand upright like it's especially tailor-made the way lad got Landsberg's her down not gonna way, quit on you either the way Kunitskaya got her down, it's like it's like the writing is there. I can't deny it. The writing is there. But it's like once McMahon gets her down and spends the whole first round on top of her, and then the second round gets stuffed on just one of them, then she's going to fucking back away, open up her eyes, and go, oh, go, shit. Oh, no, I have to strike now, and I don't want to do that. Yeah, and, and, I, and you know what? You always think like, oh, wrestlers. So you ever see a wrestler on their, on their back, and they just like turn in and just get up? It's like, holy shit. You know, maybe they're not even good grapplers. Like in, in McMahon's case, like if she ends up on her back, she just flattens right out and accepts the position. Like that's, that's not positive. Looking at this one again, it's like it's, it's fully dogger pass. I haven't clean out, picked a dog on the card, and holy fuck, am I going to pick Lena Landsberg right here, right now as my dog of the Maybe. week? Maybe. Like, I hate myself so much, but it's, it's looking like that's probably yeah. the dog of the week because you're getting a good price tag on someone who has a proven ability. In her last two fights, she's made those improvements, and then you look, you look at McMahon. Her last MMA fight, Mary Renault submitted her. Prior to that, Ketlin Vieira submitted her. Prior to that, like she's beaten the Gina Mazanis of the world, and then the, the high profile fight she was in obviously never went her way. She's 39 years old. There's no denying that like the, the best days are gone and the best days didn't look that great to begin with. So I can't I can't for positive minus one fifty five, I can't get behind it. I would have to say this is gonna be a, a dogger this is a dogger pass and lean towards dogger. I agree with you on that one. We got uh, Tony Gravely taking on Brett the Pikey Johns. Gravely, minus one twenty, Johns. Plus 100. I really liked Gravely coming off of the Contender Series, watching him on that, uh, on this fight, or on his fight that got him to this uh, spot. I was just like, that, that's, that guy looks like Super a skilled. UFC level yeah. fighter. They did him no favors, taking on former uh, Cage Warriors champion and a very good grappler, though he's British. 
in his own right, and Brett John's good submission skills, everything like that. Like, John's coming off of two straight losses, but they're to Pedro Munoz and Aljamain Sterling. Like, these are top five guys, basically. Top five, top ten guys, yeah. Uh, This one's, yeah, this one's super, super interesting. I don't know, I guess I'm leaning towards Brett John's here, just because I think we have a better idea of his skill set and what it looks like when he takes on higher level competition. Uh, Gravely has wrestling and pace on his side, but if they get into grappling exchanges, Brett John's have a better, does he have the better jits? Does he have the better um, submission skills and positional skills down there? I'm going to lean towards that side. He's plus 100, but um, it's a very, very interesting one. Maybe Gravely, maybe Gravely is the truth, and we see him, you know, get into a top 10. Like, the guy looked like he had... I mean, his record is nothing special. I think he's like 19 and 5 or something like that. I mean, that's a pretty fucking good record. He's 28. No, I know. But I mean, like, it's not like he's like some sort of, it doesn't look like some sort of world beater. But, you know, he looked he looked the part on the Contender Series. But yeah, again, tough, tough matchup. I'll take uh, Brett Johns in this spot. What about you? Yeah, I've been watching Gravely since he was 1 and 1. He fought a local Ontario guy here named Vladimir Kazbikov. And then from then on, I was like, fuck, this guy can wrestle. He, he can do it all. He was young, good prospect, and he loves to fight. Fights very, very often. Seeing his run, it's like he'll, he'll pretty much fight anybody. But whenever he takes on somebody with a significant grappling advantage, his adman- main advantage is his wrestling. He takes guys down, he grinds them all. When he was taking guys down that can grapple, they catch him. Pass Sabatini caught him. Ricky Bandene caught him. Uh, Manny Bermudez, who's kind of known for catching people, caught he's him. And taking Pat, a guy and who Pat has Nix a calf slicer. Yeah, well, he's got five pro losses, and four of those five pro losses, he's been submitted in, right? So, I mean, I think that there's, at least if you're going to say, well, who's got the, the grappling advantage? Yeah, you'd have to go to Brett Johns. Brett Johns, yeah, he's got a clap, calf slicer. Not only does he calf slicing somebody, Joe Soto's a black belt mm-hmm. and a pretty decent black belt. Mm-hmm. A guy that's competed strictly in grappling tournaments and had a lot of success. And you're going to catch a guy like that? Yeah, at least he's crafty and he's got that ability, right? The, the difference here is that if Brett Johns, realistically, his best skill, judo black belt, get the guy down, when he gets the guy down, use that grappling. If he falls back on his striking, it's like he's so fucking hittable and he's very, like, stiff and rigid, but, like, he'll, he'll throw. Gravely doesn't have that plan B. He just goes to the wrestling. He just goes to the wrestling. Most of these guys can't, can't put up with it. They can't stop the chain wrestling. They can't, you know, deal with it over the course of 15 minutes. But in this case, the judo black belt is going to nullify that wrestling, I, I believe. So Gravely's going to have to rely on holding up Brett Johns up against the cage. Brett Johns is not going to be easily held up against the cage. Eventually, it's going to hit in the open field. When it hits over the open field, I don't see Gravely winning the striking exchanges consistently enough to get the decision. Now, if I if I if I thought that the Carolina Commission was a bad commission, this could be a closely contested striking battle. They're not neither guy's a striker. So what is a striking battle between both guys going to look like? Fucking sloppy. Very sloppy. Mind you, Pedro Munoz, a BJJ black belt, not known for his striking, absolutely chewed John Phillips up with leg kicks, punches, almost stopped him five times, killed him in the striking. So I don't think Brett Johns has got the type of striking to clear cut easily dominate Tony Gravely, I think he'll do enough that if I was a judge, I would think, yeah, this guy won the fight. If, if I'm wonky about what the commission's going to look at, I, I'm not sure. But I think Brett Johns doesn't get taken down, keeps the fight standing, outstrikes him, wins decision in a close fight. It is a close fight, but minus 120 Gravely versus Brett Johns. <clears throat> and I think that's a reflection of Gravely fights all of the time. You know, he fought... In the time, in the time that Brett Johns last competed, right? Brett Johns fought 16 months ago, 17 months ago. That's a big layoff. Since then, Gravely has fought one, two, three, four, five, six times. He's had six fights since Brett Johns' last fight. Brett Johns is 27. This kid's 28. 
this is a closely contested fight for sure. I probably shouldn't go Johns. I should maybe go, but Johns has shown he's proven. He's fought in Aljamain Sterling. He's fought in Pedro Munoz. He's done all that. Whereas Gravely two fights ago beat Darren Mima, and I'm I'm supposed to believe he's somehow UFC caliber going to beat a guy that's top twenty. Like nah, I I don't know. I I'll believe it when I see it. I just haven't seen it yet. So give me the plus one hundred on Johns. We got Nate Landwehr taking on Herbert Burns. Landwehr is minus one twenty five. Burns plus one hundred five. This one seems pretty simple. Yeah, striker versus grappler. And Herbert Burns is sub or bust here. This is going to lead into our DraftKings thing, our breakdown at the end. Burns is like, will be a GPP flyer because if he's going to win, he's going to find a way to get this match. He doesn't have great like wrestling or takedowns, but if he gets your back, he gets a hold of you. He, you know, he's Gilbert Burns' brother. Like, these guys are super, super legit in terms of their grappling ability, but. If you're able to just keep him away for a round or so, he's going to start to get very desperate, and Landwehr will tee off on him, I think. So it's either Gilbert Burns gets a finish in the first few minutes type of thing, or Landwehr kind of wears him down and gets a second, late second, early third round finish. That's how I see this one shaking out. Um, inside the distance prop, I think, is up to... Minus 190 on this. Oh, it got steamed. It was yeah. like minus 110, and it got steamed hard. Yeah, as it should. Wow, um, they're both... If you ever watch tape on both guys, it's like, yeah, they're going yeah, to... These guys are going to go for it. It's going to be fun. And the nice fact that this first fight on the card is miraculous to me, because well, this is good times written. Yeah, and that's why I, I, I make graphics for every single one of these fights, because like usually it's like we'll get to like the you know the main card you look at, and you're like, oh, well... You know, these are clearly the five most important fights. It's just like outside of the main and the co-main, like all of these fights could be jumbled in any sort of direction. And like, it totally makes sense. Yeah, I agree. You know, like Alex Perez, Jordan Espinosa is on the main card. Angela Hill versus Hannah Cyphers is on the main card. Darko Stosic versus Jamal Hill is on the main card. I, 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 I don't really, I don't really get it. Yeah. Something like this, it's like, okay, both guys are making the UFC debut, but it's like, Fuck, do you know what you're missing here? Like, oh, the people won't be in the arena. And Nate Land Nate the Train's fighting? Okay, so I'm working M1 Challenge. It's like late 2017. I think it's like September 2017. And Nate Landwehr is making his M1 Challenge debut against Mikhail Korobov. So M1 always does like pre, pre-fight pre packages and interviews and all that. So they, they talk to Nate Landwehr. He's intense, man. He's a crazy person. He's just so charismatic but oh Nate the train baby coming for you Nate the train it's like oh my god who is this idiot about to get thrashed training out of Nashville small little gym mm-hmm. Paul he just goes out there and lays it on the line beats Mikhail Korobov it's like fuck knocked him out in the second round then they give him this Victor Kolesnik who's looks like top Russian prospect he beats him on a split then he beats Amy Dolgiev and he won the title he won the M1 featherweight title he fucking goes five round fights man and he's he smashes these guys late in the fight He's got a never-say-die attitude. He stays in your face. He always swings bombs. The two things that are, are, are a problem is that, one, he's, he's hyper-aggressive. He's too aggressive. And that gets you caught. That gets you into a grappling exchange that you didn't plan on getting into. Yeah, and I heard someone be like, well, Justin Gaethje does that. It's like, ooh, Justin Gaethje was a standout wrestler out of Colorado. Yeah, exactly. right? So, like, he's more 
prone to stuff the takedowns when you try to shoot them on him. Nate swings bombs and he leaves himself open for the takedown. And Herbert really only needs a takedown or two. Like he has a propensity to finish the fight as soon as it hits the ground. When you look at his losses, generally by Russian competitors, they just stuff the takedowns that first round, tire him out, take him deeper in the waters, and, and then you can beat him. Nate Landwehr, it's like he doesn't throw a great game plan together. He's I, I love him because his fighting style is just the greatest. And he quite possibly has a worse hairline than I do. That means something. But also just like he he's he's fun and exciting. Fun and exciting always isn't always the smartest play. Smartest play always isn't, you know, you might get a fight of the night and you might lose and everyone might be happy. You made it it looks good there. Look cuz they didn't have a, a the UFC picture, but from the front on you can see he's hurting just like myself. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, hey, I, I I got a I got a question. Yeah, shoot. So, is this Nate guy like 7 feet tall cuz Herbert Burns looks like he's about 8 times this guy's size and it's all in the face? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it's just the the picture. Herbert Burns. Herbert Burns is just. He's the, got he's got that Faber Faber chin right right there. That's for sure. Yeah, he's Herb. got a wow that butt chin for sure. I mean, Nate 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 Landwehr better watch out not getting sucked into that thing. But he's gonna he's gonna come in, and I just think he'll he's gonna pressure him. Pressuring a guy is gonna re, is gonna result in them tiring a lot faster because right? they're not gonna have time to set up their game plan. Oh, I'm gonna shoot this takedown. Oh, they're gonna have to be reacting right away. He's gonna be trying to counterpunch. As he's trying to counterpunch, he's gonna try to shoot. He's gonna try to time it and shoot under. If he gets stuffed, if he doesn't get if he doesn't get the takedown, he's in a lot of shit. Now, if he does get the takedown, he has to finish him in that first round because the second round, Nate's gonna get back on his feet, and now that takedown ain't gonna come as easy. Mm-hmm. I think Nate goes out there. I think Nate puts it on him. He's minus one twenty-five. I have his nagging suspicion. If you wait, you'll get a, you'll get dog money. You think so? Because it actually it opened up on the. I think Herbert Burns opened up as like minus one twenty-five, and it's flipped. It's it's kind of relatively sad, like small money coming in both directions. The reason why I think Nate might end up going off as the underdog is a if you just. I don't think a lot of people will look into him and be like, oh, man, this is a legitimate... 31, trains up a yeah, small Most people in, will look in, at it, they'll be like, Burns. Oh, Burns. who's... I know that name. Oh, it's Gilbert. Is this is this guy related to Burbert? Gilbert? Yes, he is. Yeah, it's his And then 30, they're going to be like, his, oh, well, I love Gilbert Burns, and he's yeah. he's a truck. This guy's his brother, who's also is a high-level BJJ black belt, who fought for one FC, who fought some good fighters. I mean, his only losses are to a pair of guys that are PFL standouts now, fighting in the million-dollar tournament. They'll be in the next one, I'm sure. That's just like, okay, he's got, he's got a good track record there, but he's too much of a, I need to finish this in the first round. The difference is, Landwehr thinks... I need to finish this in the first round, but we'll do that every fucking round for five rounds. This is only three, but he, he doesn't get tired. He doesn't default off of what his game plan is. Whereas Burns is going to feel the pressure and Burns will succumb to it. Now we got to talk about DK. You're going to want one of them because Nate's either going to knock mm-hmm. this guy out late in the first or sometime or Herb's going to get an early submission. Or Herb's going to catch him. So anyways, rifle it down real quick. I'll give my picks. Then we'll go through the draft things quick. And then I got to take off, but I'm going to go with, with Curtis Blades. We're going to take Curtis Blades, Rafael Dos Anjos, Alex Perez, Angela Hill. I don't love that one. Jamal Hill, Jamal Hill, Bavon Lewis. I'm going to take Arnold Allen. I will take Arnold Allen. I'm going to take Keish. That'll be the first official dog because I will take Keish. We're going to take Montel Jackson. We're going to take Lena Lansbury. That's the second dog. We're going to take Brett Johns. That's the third dog. And we're going to take Nate Landwehr. He is a slight favorite. Rifling through the DK side of things. Curtis Blades, I mean, yeah, he, he's going to have to get multiple takedowns to make 9,000 worth it. And the thing with Jordan uh, DeSantos is, what, is he going to keep getting up? Like, I don't know that chain wrestling, yeah, Kane took him down 11 times and he was getting up. Different time, different age. Yeah, it was years ago. 
I don't love the 9,000, and he'll probably be heavy owned because he's in the main event. He's a 240 favorite. People like his style. I, I could pass off that and get away from that. Juno Sanchez, $7,200. I don't know if I'm going to balls up to play it, but that is worth something as a pun play. He's only $7,200. His upside two winning is that he could score a great amount here. Rafael Desanos, $8,900. Again, Michael Chiesa, durable enough that he has to get that late submission where he has to thrash this guy. But without the threat of multiple takedowns, multiple ground transitions, multiple ground and pound, it'd be tough to get 8900 I, I like him at 8900 better than I like Blades at 9,000, but I'm still thinking I might try to pass from that altogether. Alex Perez, $9,100. Ooh, we're going to pay up a little Saf, bit. Safdick potential. Of yeah, the... listen, he might be getting flat out Safdick here, but I think he should win. I think he should put up a reasonable amount of points. Jordan Espinosa, I'm going to pass on that altogether. Angela Hill, minus 160. The $8,600 on DraftKings. Like, honestly, she's not going to score any takedowns. She'll get no ground transition. We've played this game so many times with her. It's just like, well, what if she has, like, if she puts up like 120 strikes? And she's done that before, but it's like there's a lot of duds. In between that. Yeah, plus it's like, okay, 100, 120 significant strikes, it's like she got her 60 points, and then with her decision win, like, let's say she ends up being 80, 85 points. It's like she's $8,600. Like, she would have to have the perfect outing in order to yeah. score up to that. Or she gets a finish, but again, Hannah Cypher's like, if she's got anything, it's a decent amount of durability. Moving on, you got Hill versus Stosic. Like, Stosic, damaged goods, hasn't looked good. He's got to show something here. The difference that the problem is is that he is durable. He hasn't been knocked out. He's shown an ability to take some damage. And if the going gets tough, he's got no problem just punching you right in the dick. So he might be able to slow things down enough that I don't think he'll at the 8,500, even though that's a mid-range play, somewhat of a mid-range play that I am interested in. No takedowns. I it's just, just going to be a, a striking battle. A striking battle where you're not knocking the guy out or dropping him at the very least is not going to get you enough. Darko's points. inactivity makes him very, very... Von Lewis, Unsexy as a DK play. Yeah, I would love to say Lewis at $9,300 because I got faith in him on the money line side of things. However, I don't have faith in him on the drafting side of things because he's on a two-fight losing streak. It's a pink slip match for him. He needs to win this fight. That doesn't result in this guy going out and having a barn burn performance. It results in him fighting the right way, winning this fight, and moving on to the last fight of his contract, coming off a win at least. Therefore, I don't think that he hits up to that $9,300. Daquan, 69 Fuck that. I'd rather do the fentanyl than play Daquan Townsend altogether. So now we got Arnold Allen, Nick Lentz. Arnold Allen, again, if he's not going to be taking down Nick Lentz, that's off the table. He's going to be playing punch, punch, stuff to take down. Punch, punch, stuff to take down. Won't get enough points. Lentz as a punt is decent because if he does take him down, he's going to dominate him on the ground. If he is taking scoring takedowns and he's getting ground transitions and he's getting some, you know, potentially maybe he goes for a submission, he'll get points for that. But if he gets the submission... Plus the strikes. Yeah, yeah. Seven K if he gets the win, I don't see how he doesn't pay off. Yeah, and, and, and if he does get the win, it would be hard to think that he's not on a on a, on a big winning lineup because of his price tag. The Pudilova, she's not gonna score enough. Justine Keish, as much as I like her at seventy five hundred dollars, still not gonna score enough. Montel Jackson could get the knockout. Montel Jackson could score a lot. However, he is priced high out the ace. I fell into that trap last week. I had money, I spent the money, I ended up with Barber. And I'm just gonna avoid that one and see how it plays out. McMahon, even if she does get the takedown, there won't. She doesn't ground. We played and pound. this game so many times before too. <laughs> I would avoid. If her. she gets takedowns, she's so much stronger and more technical than her opponents that like she'll just hang out and guard for the entirety of the round. Won't actually land too much. Uh, she won't. She'll basically never try to advance. She won't really land much ground and pound. So, yeah, you get your five points for the takedown maybe a couple strikes mixed in like she has not historically been a great dk player. And, and, and the thing with landsberg is i'm almost going into this fight knowing she'll probably lose the first round spend the whole round on her back and not score anything so now she goes into the round two with a point and then in round two she's gonna have to either win two and three to get the decision 
or I, I truthfully believe that she could finish McMahon at some point in the second or the third. But I mean, she's his seventy eight hundred dollars. She's not a sixty eight hundred dollar punt. She's not seven thousand. She's still seventy eight hundred dollars. So I'm not fully sold on again. Not going to take McMahon down. Not going to out grapple McMahon. There's only a limited avenue to get those points. Gravely versus Brett Johns. If the grappling nullifies itself, it'd be the same thing. Landworm versus Burns. You have to have one. I would say Landwehr because I said I pass on a lot. I mean, you have to have six people yeah. in a lineup, so it sounds based on based no, on no, your I'm little just, breakdown right, there, it right. sounds pretty I, hard to make one. Well, from the from the expensive list of players, I like Alex Perez. I like uh, Lewis. Yeah, well, well again, Bavon Lewis at ninety three hundred. I don't think he gets that much. I like him as far of a big favorite on the money line yeah, side yeah. of things. As far as DraftKings, I like Perez. You don't like him as a scorer. No, you know what? In, in more than that, I would say I'd say I like Alex Perez number one. I like Curtis Blades number two. That's what I would go yeah. with on the expensive side of things. On the value side of things, we're trying to save some money. You know, Hannah Cyphers is not going to get that finish. So it's like, well, we're trying to win something. We're trying to go for it. So in that, it's like, okay, Landsberg could get that finish. She might take this girl into some deeper waters to get that finish. Justine Keish, whereas I wouldn't really see it normally happening. I mean, we just had the the lesser talented older Shevchenko sister who is not a grappler submit Lucy Putalobis. So like, if Keish, maybe it just was the weight cut. I, I don't know. People like that could potentially score bigger for you. Brett Johns is only 8,000. Herbert Burns at 7,900, honestly. And I got Nate Landwehr. Yeah. Fuck, $7,900 I mean, Burns. Like, that, that is a good price that, tag. That's, that's, that's just a lock fight, I think. You take, you take one or the other. Yeah, yeah. Other plays it's is... It's going to happen. Uh, Those guys are going to go for right. it. And, and you want to have that, especially in GPP. Like, you... Man. Obviously not a cash game play because... And I can't deny that, that Michael but, Chiesa or Junior would theoretically be good value plays as well because they are priced accordingly and their pass to victory would include them scoring a good amount of points. So that's all something to consider. Now that I'm in the, that DraftKings... Uh, no, obviously you are too. Uh, the uh, MMA World Cup. Yep. I can't exactly be giving away all my locks. However, that that is how I feel. I can't give you an exact lineup, but... Good luck to everybody, and uh, yeah, yeah, back in the rhythm of things. Cody's just not. You've changed, man. You've changed. Why? The old, the old Cody would have. Uh, Here's my exact. Would have told them, be like, yeah, so uh, pay up for uh, Montel Jackson, Bavon Lewis, and uh, and then you go to the other side. No, I've never. That, done that's that. how you do it. Oh no, I know what people have said before. Swerve people to one side, then you get them at that <laughs> sweet, sweet low ownership. I know. I know you read the comments from time to time, uh, but there was a comment like a couple events back. The person's like, "Are you guys trying to help us win money? Or are you guys trying to help us go the other direction so like we lose?" I'm like, that "We're is actually not- trying to help us win money and just tell people." But sometimes it works out. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you parlay Macy Barber. That was bad. I actually ended up... Uh, she blew her knee out. I couldn't see that coming. Oh, stop. You sound like you're part of her team or something. Yes. <laughs> I know. Whack. However, however, you, very notorious for the saying, you say, Cody, I really like this fighter, but I got to wonder, is that banana peel pricing? Someone might wonder, what is banana... We said that what in is, a long time. What is banana peel pricing? It means at any point, you could slip on a banana and blow your motherfucking knee out. Shit happens. Barbara, yeah, Barbara, 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 Barbara main very. I wish, I round wish she did. one was so bad that. Well, maybe she blew. Her there was out. no banana peel there. She was. It was just we we bought we we drank the Kool Aid, we bu- we bought into the hype. Yeah, yeah. I'll give a greasy theory. What? Then we can walk out of here. 
Duke Roof has fucking ruined her, man. He does this to a lot of fighters. That girl is from Fort Collins, Colorado, training with my boy Ryan Lion Schultz, and shit is popping. She says, you know what? I need to expand my horizons. She goes to Factory X Muay Thai. Mark Frank Montoya, they're taking her. She's a Colorado girl. She's building up. At some point, she decides, hey, I should learn how to strike. No, you shouldn't learn how to strike. You are a grappler. You are a top-heavy. You're young. You're grinding, you're getting better, you're at a great camp to, to, to take you to the next level. What does she do? She goes to Milwaukee. How many guys in Milwaukee are doing good these days? Not Anthony Pettis, to tell you that much. Neither of the Pettis One of my players. live bets was, I was just like, ah, Pettis, you know, he lost round one. I got like minus 135 on, uh, on CDF by decision. I'm like, ah, Pettis, you know, he's already been on the ground. He's been fighting the hands good. I'm like, I think he's going to get trounced the rest of this, but I think he'll be able to survive. And sure enough, taps pretty quick. Looked for that door. I And I learned, at least on that one, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, Pettis, Pettis, you cannot think about Pettis the same way as you used to. He's like, not. He would have fought no. through these things, but that Tony Ferguson fight with the broken Changed hand. Him. The Poirier fight with the ribs. for the door. Yeah, the Poirier fight with the ribs, then the Ferguson fight with the hand. And then yeah. since then, it's just... Even the USADA, the USADA cut thing, and then and then the quote in it, Duke Roof is being like, "Dude, don't fight, man, don't fight. Just take your take the show money and let's go home." It's like what they should have they should have Holly liked Holm him. Luckily, kind of saved saves saved my night. Yeah, they, you know what? They should have mic'd up Duke Roof. Roof is it make it real easy for live betting situations because the first round would end and then he'd be like, "Fuck it, kid, let's get out of here." And he'd be like, "Okay, yeah, he's not gonna turn it around." I just I don't know. I know I'm I'm sounding like an idiot. I'm being really harsh to Duke Roof. It's one of the legends and all this and that. But it's like. It's a quit yeah, what's, what's he ever done for it's you? It's a fucking quit mentality. And you go back to Duke Rufus's brother, the one and only Rick Rufus, who's mm-hmm. like one of the greatest long pancake boxes of all time. And he takes on a Muay Thai fighter. I can't even pronounce the last name. Epic video. Lawrence Kenshin does a great breakdown on it. But uh, low kicks beats beats Rick Rufus. He just kicks him in the leg. Rick Rufus is a long pant kickboxer. He doesn't deal with leg kicks. He's in and out. He's in and out. He just gets chopped down by the leg kicks and eventually can't continue and loses. And then they talk to Duke afterwards and they're just like, oh, how do you feel about your brother losing for the first time? And he's just like, he didn't lose. The guy cheated. He kicked him in the leg. Quitter's mentality. Yeah, kicking in the leg is for cheaters, he says, okay? Two years later, Duke Rufus won his first world title with low kicks. The guy fucking dropped the low kicks. Because he realized in that moment, shit, this is an effective strategy. But his bitch ass was like, no, you're a cheater. And I never liked the guy. I've never liked the guy. But but he had to. I would hate to shit on this this legend. (laughs) Never liked the guy. Fuck Duke Rufus, man. I'm going all in. And you know what? He's had world champions. Tyron Woodley's a world champion. No, no, no. Don't put that as the, like, try to sell the show for the week. Yeah, that's a little bit aggressive. Yeah, whatever. He can come leg kick me anytime. No, I won't. I, I won't do fold. it. Usually, I will, but I don't want you. You, you know, you still book and you still uh, make. Uh, have you done that in a while? You booked a booked a card, booked some fights or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. Also, like don't, you don't, have don't, those don't, types of things, so I don't want to. I know. I don't want to hurt. And honestly, dude, don't, your chances of, don't, of profiting hey, pa- in that way. Paul won't. I will. And don't and don't <laughs> so don't, don't ruin that. and don't ruin my relationship with Duke Rufus in the offhand chance I need a quitter on one of my shows to give me five minutes and then pack up his shit and go fucking home. <laughs> Because that's kind of... And listen, Duke wasn't in Macy's Corner. It's not like I'm... Ben Askren actually was. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. His shit was going real good, too, till he linked up with him. Fuck, what about Jared Gordon? Hey, eh? remember when he was a Danaher? Fuck, he was good. Oh, wait. I mean, then he went to Duke Rufus's. 
Paul Felder is not really a Rufus guy. I mean, I the like, shots are like getting fired here, but it's hard for me to argue against. Yeah. Well, you guys leave an open microphone in front of me. He's the show should have been killer. done 10 minutes ago. You're just letting me talk, and now I'm getting Duke Rufus. This is where we get the best upset. stuff. This, this is, is where, what happens. This is where I'm getting sweaty. <laughs> you know? I'm getting sweaty. Like, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe I'm being too harsh. Speaking of quitters mentality... We're gonna have to let you go. This is the uh, we, we will I quit. quit. I quit the show. We will Fuck quit this, this week's episode. Thank you to Cody Safik for breaking down the fights with me, as always. Thank you to producer Pat Mayo. Not just a pretty face. The guy's actually pretty good at production as well. Uh, for Cody and Pat, I am Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Experience. Experience.